following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you use an app, please feel free to open that up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be focusing on uh, the scripture we read this morning, but we're going to go 17 to the end of that passage. So last week we talked about let the little children come as part of the sermon. So I thought, you know, I want to read that again, but we're going to focus a little bit more somewhere else. I have an issue that's twofold. Sometimes I get so caught up in a question that I want to ask, I stop paying attention to the person who's speaking and just start thinking about my question. Have you ever had that problem? Thank you. That makes me feel good. (laughs) But I know that I've been in lectures, especially when I was in school, sitting in class, where I would get so focused on what I wanted to say, that I wasn't paying attention. And what had happened is that the teacher, the professor, had already just talked about what I was going to ask. And then I, you know, hand in the air, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then you get that look of like, I know you're not dumb, but you're kind of dumb, right? Like you get that look from whoever's up front. And then there are times that I ask questions and I get an answer I don't like. Have you ever been in that spot where you've got a question and the person starts answering the question and then you're like, okay, that's a great answer. And then they keep going and you go, no, stop. Like this, you answered the question how I wanted it to be answered. Glad we made it. High fives. Let's go. Today in our story, we get this moment where a man comes to Jesus, asks him a question, is really enjoying the answer until Jesus keeps on going. And it's this fascinating look at what it means for us as followers of Jesus when we come to the Lord and when he is talking to us about what it means to be his followers. So in Mark 10, Jesus is teaching, he's blessing the children, and as that's wrapping up, a young man comes running up to him. So this is here in verse 17, and it says it like this, and he was setting out on his journey, so he's getting ready to leave. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now in Matthew and Luke, we'll see them quote this man as being a rich young man and a rich young ruler. So not only is it a young man who has come to Jesus, but it is someone of authority, someone with means. And as I was prepping for it this week, something stuck out to me that I hadn't really seen before, which is here in the beginning of this verse, it says, and as Jesus was setting out, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked. He ran up and knelt. How weirded out would you be if you're getting ready to leave, loading things in the trunk, and out of nowhere, here comes this random young guy who just, you know, sprints up to you and kneels down. I'm going, call the police now, right? What is this weirdo doing? 
But this guy wanted his question to be answered so much, he didn't want Jesus to leave before his question could be asked. So he runs and kneels outside of his station. This is a traveling rabbi who would have had respect, but not the kind of authority and means that this rich young ruler would have had. So he is humbling himself before someone who in the eyes of the world, he probably wouldn't need to humble himself in front of. But when he comes to ask his question, he so badly wants the answer that he runs up and he kneels down. And then he asks a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal eternal life. Now, this would be an interesting thing because at this time, there would have been some amongst the ruling religious class who would have said, well, religion isn't about eternal life. It's just about what you do now. And so the fact that he's confessing and saying, hey, no, I want to hear about that life that's to come, this kingdom you've been talking about. Tell me how I inherit that. And Jesus said to him, and I love Jesus, right? He asks about eternal life. And what does Jesus focus in on? Why do you call me good? Well, I was buttering you up for my question about eternal life. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is another phrase I had just sped past. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. He's feeding crumbs to this guy. Right? He's going, hey, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. He's working to get that confession of saying, hey, you're calling me good. Let me point to why you call me good. Only God is good. And if only God is good and I am good, let's do a little math here. Pull out your phone, do the calculation. Ah, you are God, right? So he's setting up this idea to say, hey, if only God is good, then what's going on here? So he sets that breadcrumb, and then he says this, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. What's fascinating here is he, he goes back to the great ones, right? He goes back to the hits, the ten. But notice, it's not all the Ten Commandments, right? And in fact, he skips the first three. Have no other gods before me. Do not take my name in vain. And honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So he focuses on the commandments that are about loving your neighbor. He looks and he says, listen, we're going through these commandments and these are the ones that I'm talking about. But he skips over the ones about loving God and goes straight to the ones about loving your neighbor. This is what he says then in verse 20. And he said to him, the rich young man, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him 
loved him. I love this moment. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this story. This is kind of one of the big ones. And it would be really easy for us to just focus on, oh, that rich guy can't get to heaven. But I want us to focus a little bit more on the interaction they're having. Because here, this guy says, hey, I've kept those. I do those. And it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's a big deal. How often in Scripture do we look and we see Jesus talks about his love? We see it happening all the time. But here's this moment where it's very specific that when he responds, it says, and Jesus loved him. How do you think Peter was feeling when he read that? He told me to get behind him because I was Satan. This random guy shows up out of nowhere. Right? Here's this moment, and this is a big deal. And not only that, in a second you're going to see how far that love goes. So as we think of the rich young ruler and what's about to happen, don't forget that it says Jesus looked on him and loved him. Because here's what Jesus says. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. So in his love for this young man, he goes, all right, you got it. Here's all you got left. Sell what you have. Give it away and come follow me. A couple big things there, right? First of all, I want us to hear that. Sell all you have and come follow me. Let's not make this some weird like, oh, that's only in the Bible. How would that sit with you? If you've just met Jesus, he goes, great, sell everything you have, come follow me. Pretty sure I'd follow the same way as the rich young ruler of leaving despondent. Because listen, I enjoy watching TV. (laughs) I enjoy my house. I enjoy having a car that gets me where I need to go. I enjoy being able to take my wife out for dinner. I enjoy, and we could just line up all those things. we got to remember, even as we are a church sitting in the midst of a cafeteria, but in this cafeteria, we in the world are in the top 1% of wealth. And so for us, we need to let that sit on our hearts a little bit. Now I'm going to take it a completely different direction. I just want you to feel the guilt. No. I want us to think about that. That let's not pull away from the rich young ruler. Let's look and say, okay, that's a tough ask. But when Jesus says, come follow me, when I've preached on this before, this this was my big moment. This is the 13th disciple. Who does he say, come follow me to? He says it to Peter and James and John. He says, leave your nets and come follow me. When he looks at Matthew, the tax collector, he goes, leave behind your taxes and come follow me. When he looks at Philip, he does the same thing. Come follow me. This could be, you know, Robert, the 13th disciple, right? Had he given everything away and sold everything, we'd have the book of Bob we'd be studying today. But the man feels it and he says, 
And I kid you not, when I was reading it, this is how it came to me. I will do anything for faith, but I won't do that. Right? Like he looks and he goes, listen, I've got it. Because he goes, Lord, I've kept all these commandments. Listen, I read through those commandments. I go, I haven't kept some of those commandments. That bearing false witness one, that's pretty tough. But here this guy in his pride goes, got it, Jesus, what's next? Right? Like, bro, you've already given up a ton. You've already sacrificed to follow the Lord. And he goes, oh, not that far. I'd do anything. I won't do that. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he, the rich young ruler, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed by his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus sees this man's faith. He sees what he's done. He looks at it and he says, I love this guy. I want to be part of the team. Not just part of the team, I want to be part of the crew. Right? But there's this one sticking point. And I think it's fascinating the way Jesus handles this, that when he quotes these commandments back to this rich young ruler, as he says them, he gives him the love your neighbor quotes. He gives him, what do you do to live a good life here? But then when he says, okay, if you want to follow me, this is what you got to give up. So he takes those loving God commandments and brings them to this point to being like, okay, if you want to honor me as your only God, get rid of your God. Get rid of it. Give it away and trust that what I have planned for you is greater than what your riches could be. Jesus is tricky like that, (laughs) right? He quotes the things that this guy, that he probably knows he hasn't kept completely, but who the guy looks and goes, "I'm I'm a decent guy. I haven't broken these. And Jesus goes, all right. And then immediately hits him with one. And he goes, ooh, can't do that. How often do we look at our own faith and think, I got it, I'm okay. I'm all right. I haven't murdered anyone today. It's okay, I'm doing all right. I haven't coveted my neighbor's significant other. All right, I'm doing okay. I respected my parents today. I'm doing all right. And we can get caught in this idea of our own morality. And it's fascinating because the disciples latch onto this idea of wealth. Jesus says, yeah, it's going to be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think they think they look, oh yeah, that guy. 
And he goes, well, it's going to be easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Now, what's fascinating about this is a lot of scholarship happens around that phrase, to get the camel through the eye of a needle. And what you'll hear people try and break it down is they'll go, okay, yeah, there's actually this one gate into Jerusalem that they called the eye of the needle because it was so thin. So to get a camel through, it would have been really tough. And I'm like, don't you think Jesus would have said that? Like, he'd been like, that gate is mine. You know, like, no, he's, he is trying to show you, listen, have you tried putting a camel through an eye of a needle? I have trouble getting a yarn through an eye of a needle, right? But this is what he ends with. They were exceedingly astonished, and he said to them, then who can be saved? You see, they were so focused on the riches of this young man that he had said no, that he had been so morally upright, but then got caught up in the idea of his possessions. And they got so caught on that. And then when Jesus said, it'll be hard for wealthy people to get into the kingdom, and they were so caught up in that. And then he hits them with, then who can be saved? Not just rich folks, but anyone who can be saved. Because what Jesus was doing was with this rich young man, he was focusing on the idol that he had. The disciples, you know, they didn't have money. Money's probably not a big idol when you don't got it. Or maybe it's the only idol when you don't got it. But he looked and he said, this is the one. Because what can happen is we can get caught up in how do I do right for God. That when the rich young man comes up and he says, oh yeah, I haven't broken those commandments, I can just imagine a good chuckle from Jesus. Okay, let's sell everything you have. But I love that we have this moment that he says, let the little children come to me, and then the rich young ruler comes and we see here is he is thinking as a child. I've kept everything. I've been good. You know, Jesus, if you're keeping a list and checking it twice, I've definitely been nice. And what Jesus is trying to get him to see is, like, you can't, you can't do it. You think you've got it, but you're still so far off. So when he starts explaining it to his disciples, he goes, listen, you think it's easy? It's like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is. But then as he keeps going, he goes, then who can be saved? Not just rich folks. Who can be saved? He says it like this. With man, it is impossible. But with God, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And he's not just talking about saving rich people. He's talking about our salvation. That when we read through that list of commandments, yeah, we get caught up in this story about giving away all our possessions. But if we were to go back and look and say, have I kept those commandments? Have I kept those things that he has just listed off for me? That when he is quizzed, 
earlier in the book of Mark, and he says, there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can we look at ourselves and go, I have kept that perfectly. And there's actually arrogance revealed in this rich young man that he would say, yes, I've kept that perfectly. Because what he was saying was he was saying, listen, I can earn my way there. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And he looks at that inherit and doesn't focus on the inherit. He focuses on the do. What do I do? What do you do to inherit something? Nothing. Someone reads a will and all of a sudden you have the family estate in upstate New York. Invite me if you get that. I want to check it out. When you inherit something, it is a gift that you have done nothing but given. And so he says, how do I inherit? And Jesus goes, stop doing. You can't. You cannot work your way into that inheritance. It is a gift. And so when the disciples look and are questioning, and Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, it's harder to get the camel through an eye of a needle. And then he responds and says, but nothing is impossible for God. Put yourself in those shoes. What is your struggle? It is easier for a slanderer, for a gambler, for a drunkard, for a gossip. To get through the eye of a needle. But you see, Jesus looks and He knows. The book of Romans says it like this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, No one does good, not even one. When Jesus quizzes this rich young man at the beginning and he says, why do you call me good? He's trying to get him to see, listen, the only good there is, is God. And even those good things you think you have done, they're immediately negated by those things and that jealousy and that possession worship that you have. And so if you want to come to God, if you want to inherit eternal life, then what you have to do is recognize that those things you have done do not make you righteous. That those things that you have done have not earned you your way into heaven. So Jesus one-ups him and goes, you've done all these good things? All right, we'll do the next good thing. Sell everything you have Give it away and come follow me. Romans also says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes we try and trick ourselves into this belief that only if I do a little more good then God will love me more. If only I act and behave a little more righteously, then I will gain 
righteousness. The problem is, could you imagine how exhausting it must have been for that rich young ruler trying to live his life in this perfect sense without a foundation, so much so that when he comes and Jesus says, this is it, he goes away full of sorrow. But how often do we try to do that? How often do we look and go, Lord, look at all the good things I've done. Won't you love me just a little bit more? Can't I inherit eternal life with what I've already given you? And Jesus goes, great, here's the list of what you still need to do. You want to inherit the kingdom? You want to inherit it by your works? Perfect. Here's the to-do list. Listen, you get that to-do list, and it is going to be the worst day of your life because you're going to look at it and go, I can't do this. And Jesus is like, exactly. You can't do this. You got things out of order. He looks and he says, listen, when you didn't do this, I died for you. When you broke the commandments, I died for you. When Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler, he's trying to get him to see, you don't have righteousness, but come follow me and you'll find it. The come follow me is not about him doing something greater. It's about giving him the opportunity to see that the burden is easy and the load is light. Because when Jesus comes and he dies, that God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ dying for us, it frees us to say, listen, I know I've messed it up. But do you know how much better it is to go out and serve others, to go out and love others, to go and keep the commandments? Do you know how much better it is when your foundation is not in a fear of will God love me, but is instead on a foundation of God loves me? And so I go and do these things. The good news in this story is the declaration of Jesus saying, you think it's impossible? With God, all things are possible. In our community group, we're going through the book of Philippians. And several times we've come across this strange phrase in that book that Paul talks about working out your salvation. This last Wednesday as we were going through it, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which so often sounds like, okay, I've got to work for my salvation. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, work out your salvation. Work it out to the world. Go out and work in that salvation and do it in fear and trembling, which isn't about being afraid, but it's instead about saying, look at this great gift that I have been given. And if I've been given this gift, what comes with it is the honor of being able to work out that salvation in the world. That it's not like you're saved and immediately you're raptured to heaven, but instead God says, listen, you are saved and I'm going to give you an opportunity to work out that salvation, to be who I created you to be in the world around you. And some days will be easier than others. 
And some days you're going to realize and live deep in the roots of that identity of Jesus for you. And some days you need to hear, listen, you think you're good? You're not. But I know the one who is. For no one is good except God. And so for us and who we are, we cling to the promise at the end of this story. That if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of that rich young ruler and say, I have it all together, and then Jesus puts our idol on display for us, instead of walking away in sorrow, we stand firm in front of Jesus, and instead of standing up from that kneel that we ran to him with, we remain kneeling and we say, Lord, you're right. Show me how you do the impossible. Show me that forgiveness again today. That instead of trying to find some deep well in ourselves, we say, I'm already at the well. That when Jesus reveals our idol, we don't go away sorrowful. We may feel some sorrow, but we rejoice because at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he did the impossible. He took a bunch of humans who had rebelled against him and made them his family once again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this example. We pray that you would reveal to us those idols in our lives where we try and make you love us more. Lord, instead, show us that love you already have for us. Lord, let us rejoice that when Paul writes and says, no one is righteous, that condemnation is not about our failure, but instead about the strength of a Savior. That when Jesus says, with God all things are possible, the greatest possible thing for us is that we are saved and redeemed through Him. And Lord, may we work all that out in fear and trembling with a joy that says, if I am saved, then I love God and I love my neighbors in all that I do. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.